The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling. All thy faithful mercies crown. We welcome you to this service of ordered worship, the liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our radio congregation across New England, listening at NPR WBUR 90.9 FM, and around the globe, our internet audience at WBUR.org. It was Charles Wesley's hymnic hope to unite the two so long disjoined learning and vital piety. That is our hope and yours too. So we invite your participation in worship and ministry. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed response, your selection and self-identification in forms of ministry, particularly this week, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. That is, should you be listening by radio this morning and hear something that moves you, well, make a move next Sunday and join us in person. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and bring forth in us the fruit of good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated as we join in a time of prayer. Jesus told a parable about two men, a Pharisee and a publican, who went up one morning to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prayed, saying, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not like other men, extortioners, adulterers, unjust, or like this publican here, I tithe and fast. But from a long way off, not lifting his eyes, the publican prayed and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I ask you, I ask you, which of the two that morning went down to his house right-wised? May we bow for silent confession. Good news, good news, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgression from us. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. The voice of my beloved. Look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away, for now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Let us read responsively verses from Psalm 45 with the Antiphon. overflows with a goodly theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your royal scepter is a scepter of equity. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen, in gold of Ophir. And now, beloved, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn. Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, 14 through 15, and 21 through 23. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God to hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, 
slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. from the venerable lungs of the Holy Scripture formed in the tradition of the Church. A second gusts out of the very experience of the actual congregation within which the pulpit, like a great mast, stands up and stands out. The third swirls and rushes from the institution or denomination of origin, the kindred family of the community. A fourth and last blows from the bellows of the history of a land, a country, a people, a continental wind. Sometimes they all blow hard at the same time. Then there is a homiletical hurricane this Sunday is such a Sunday. Four winds blow here and now. One is the teaching from Mark about what matters, counts, lasts, works. A second is the experience of this congregation at Marsh Chapel, which has breathed life into a long discussion through the summer and concluding today, a discussion of Darwin and faith. The third is a great sea tide of freshman students coming into Boston University, 4,000 noses and 8,000 eyes that are changing the world as we speak. A fourth and the last is the experience of grief across our country and particularly in our region, and especially in our city, at the loss of a great leader, a last lion. 
Sometimes the four winds combine. Then there is a homiletical hurricane. This sermon is such a combination. Our lectionaries, first, of local church and of institutional connection and of country, are preceded in practice by the scripture. For us, the scripture is first, is primary, as a matter of practice. It is primary because it functions so for us. Our readings this year are from the Gospel of Mark. You will want to know what we can say then about Mark's community, for the community gave birth to the Gospel, and the community is the primary focus of the Gospel, its intended audience. It is a community, by the way, facing and dreading persecution. Mark may have been written near Rome, perhaps just before the year 73 CE or earlier. His fellow Christians are Gentiles in the main, not Jews. He writes for them neither a timeless philosophical tract nor an ethereal piece of poetry. His is rather a message on target, as someone once said. Today's lesson from Mark is about table manners, pots, pans, cleanliness. We pause to note that cleanliness is not an insubstantial issue, neither socially nor religiously. John, cleanliness is next to godliness. Wesley, on the one hand, and our very own flu-conscious age remind us so. Further, the influence of the mind and heart upon the outer world is clear and has been clear from ancient times. Yet at one level, ours is nonetheless an inauspicious reading. For we know from other sources that Jesus stepped aside from the inherited requirements of the law. The Sabbath, he said, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Lest you doubt the severity, the radicality of this dictum, you may want to refer to the highly critical, remonstrant comments about it which university professor Elie Wiesel made here last fall. Declaring all foods clean allowed the inclusion, the inclusion of Gentiles, as this text affirms. And for Mark's community, largely Gentile, as the necessary explanations fit for non-Jews proves, this issue was inordinately important, as it is too for us. Yet here, this Mark 7, is the early planting, the seed, the taproot of just Inclusion, not the outward, but the inward, matters, lasts, counts. Not the color, the gender, the orientation, but the inclination, the heart. In this sense, as Paul writes in Galatians, Christ is the end of religion. Thank goodness. As Philo wrote, true defilement is injustice, and that alone. Here are the headwaters of the great river of your tradition of responsible liberality. Thus he declared all foods clean and so much more. And friends, resistance to this liberality of the heart began very early, starting with St. Matthew some 20 years later in his 15th chapter. Matthew mightily mutes Mark, and the mutation continues to the present day. Set sail, Dear ones, 
Set sail on a great sea of magnanimity. You will see rare beasts and have unique adventures. A second wind curls around Marsh Chapel today. Over ten weeks this summer, we have listened for the gospel as a series of preachers have probed the truth of the gospel at the intersection of Darwin and faith. I had the personal pleasure to read through all the sermons in this series during the past week, and I am so thankful for the fine work of colleagues, our guests in the pulpit this summer. I urge you to read these sermons found on our website. They are as fine and as full a treatment of this aspect of our responsible Christian liberalism as you can find, and they in the winter will constitute the second edition of Motives magazine. But remember, our purpose this summer was evangelistic. Over time, the gospel of truth is both gospel and truth, or it is neither gospel nor truth. What is untrue cannot, in the long run, be to you much comfort. So this summer, one woman wrote Joanne Mang, writing to her newspaper. It is unlikely, it is likely, she wrote, it is likely that nothing will match the reassurance of a Sunday morning spent in church. But for an ever-growing number of Americans, the conviction that the church is built on shaky philosophical grounds is more powerful than the longing for unconditional comfort. The gospel is the gospel of truth. And of course, I reserve for myself one last word on the subject. It's still summer. For those of faith, it will be important to remember Jesus' admonition, be ye wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Science and religion can nourish each other and, in fact, deeply need each other. Those who have been seized by the Church's confession, you and you all, have also a particular task, a job, if you will. It is the work of antinomy and the task of dialectic. That is, future discipleship is not a matter of faith or Darwin, but pointedly a matter of faith and Darwin. As these sermons in composite teach us, as a whole, that is, rather than as individual offerings, we rely in faith every day both on wisdom and on innocence. So let us name the Darwinian antinomies, the dialectics of faith, in our own experience. There is silence. There is also mystery. There is knowledge. There is also ignorance. There is transcendence. There is also imminence. There is the subjective genitive. There is also the objective genitive. There is the via negativa. And there is the negation of the via negativa. There is creation, and there is redemption, as two eyes make one in sight. Set sail. We commend to all who hear the gift of faith, convinced of the truth of Darwin. Convinced of Darwin's truth, we commend to you the gift of faith. There is a third wind blowing today. All around us the sounds of a new freshman class, 4,100 young men and women, 
remind us of an emerging future. A local church has a denominational extended family, Catholic, Baptist, Quaker, all. We here have a deep root in the Methodist tradition, which from 1839 gave life and growth to Boston University. Yet it is the university itself, more than any denomination or other tradition, which truly is our extended family here at Marsh Chapel. And today, our family grows by leaps and bounds. And our service of hospitality begins with every freshman. A long-term hope harbored here is that every freshman would at some point in his or her first year receive a pastoral contact or visit from the minister of their self-identified tradition, should he or she have one, or from a chaplain of the chapel, if not. To greet another person by name is to honor the human being of the person, to honor the essential beauty of that person. To greet another by name is to name the name that is above every name in that person. Now, friends, we are an urban community. We are a northern campus. We are a large university. We are a multifaceted, largely secular institution. So we have every reason to strive to be 200% as human, as hospitable, as welcoming in our treatment of each other as might be the case elsewhere. And our service of hospitality begins right now, this Sunday, this week. Nor is this service the province only of those assigned to student work. It is your work, you who have identified with the ministry of Marsh Chapel. These young women and men are all our children. And they have been blown ashore to a campus that can be daunting, even to the most mature. And they swim in a culture that is not always or only flowing with milk and honey, not always or only flowing with compassion and kindness. There is a harshness to the river in which they swim, one with another. And at its worst, that cultural river can resemble a sewer. And it is not fair to blame the fish for the quality of the water. So here you are. You make a difference this week and this year. You will, I know, to some 18-year-old who someday will be your age, too. Three years ago, this week, a young woman from Atlanta came to worship. Our ushers somehow discovered that she had been an usher in her home church. And in a human way, that is, speaking to her, they welcomed her to community and to service. And for three years, she helped by ushering to lead our service. And last May, the usher team celebrated her graduation in grand style. She is with, with us still, even though right now she is a graduate student in a school in Michigan. An invitation opens a door to music, to service, to study, to fellowship, to ministry, to community. You have that invitation to offer to a young person who may be trying to develop as an adult with a modicum of personal integrity, a minimum of personal irresponsibility, a measure of personal happiness, a mode of personal honesty. There are many students who are looking for a haven in a heartless world. And there are many students who really would like to find happiness and community without having to drink to excess to find it. And you hold that invitation the blessing of that invitation. An invitation is a terrible thing to waste. So as their little boats sail, give them a beacon, a lighthouse, a safe harbor, an awareness of all the wind blowing, 
in the rigging. Behold yet a final and another fourth wind setting down upon us this morning. Our region and this country are grieving the loss of a great leader. For those listening to us from afar, we invite your imagination to settle into Boston for a moment. This is your city too, especially this week. Days of streets teeming with well-wishers from the North End to Fannel Hall to Mission Hill. Voices, many voices, lifted in emotion and reflection. Feelings of pride, loss, grief, gratitude. Boston is the cradle of liberty. This week, though, it also feels like the cradle of justice, or at least like the cradle of the longing for justice. This is not a partisan longing. It is a longing as old as the scriptures, as someone once said. The winds of loss and grief blow upon us, too, here at Marsh Chapel. I look at the marvelous windows of this beautiful nave. I am struck by just how much longing for justice is enshrined in their beauty. John Wesley meets us here. Abraham Lincoln meets us here. Francis Willard greets us here. Boston University was born out of the longing for justice that welled up in the people called Methodist a poor people. Miners, sailors, laborers, farmers. Its history is replete with the inclusion of the excluded, of those at the dawn of life, the twilight of life, and the shadows of life. And Marsh Chapel is charmingly beautiful, beautifully simple, and built to remind us of our shared history, but also our particular history as people who once knew ourselves, hardship, poverty, exclusion, a wandering Aramean, that is, a wandering Anglican field preacher, was our parent. We grew up with certain set, simple habits. You did too. Here is one. At dinner, no one is offered a second helping until everyone has had a first helping. I find it interesting how hard it seems sometimes for us to remember our table manners. We heard Caroline Kennedy movingly remember the history tours her Uncle Ted, whom we honor and mourn this week, gave his nieces and nephews. They went to Antietam and Gettysburg. They went to New York and New Jersey. And of course, they came to Boston and walked the Freedom Trail and learned the history of the Cradle of Liberty. Why? Why do we teach history? So that our stories may be tethered to the best hopes and finest courage in our past, so that our story may be part of the full one story of common faith, common ground, common hope, common grace. Four winds. When our children were young, we would sometimes take a summer trip. Often we went to New York City. Then one year we decided for some reason to come to Boston, and a love affair with New England began that has only grown more intense with every passing year. That summer we stayed in Hyannisport and swam in the ocean. One day we came to the Kennedy Memorial. It is a beautiful spot right on the water. It happened to be a sunny day. Our daughter was nine years old or so. I see her again walking the circumference of that circle. The wind from the sea, the boats bobbing in the breeze, the leisure to reflect, these I feel as well. She walked the embedded quotation around and around. I believe that America should set sail and not lie still in the harbor. I believe that America should set sail and not lie still in the harbor. I believe that too, and so do you. To set sail for a new rebirth of wonder, to set sail toward a new rebirth of compassion, to set sail toward a new rebirth of justice,
to set sail toward a new rebirth of peace, to set sail toward a new rebirth of morality, to set sail toward a new rebirth of generosity, to set sail toward a new rebirth of love. There's a lot of wind blowing today. It's a good wind in scripture and church and university and country. It's a steady, strong wind. The wind gives us, gives you, your chance, should you choose to take it, to set sail. Amen. As we enter into this time of supplication, I invite you to pray in whatever posture best connects you with God. Come, kneel at the communion rail, stand where you are, speak in another language, or simply stay where you are. Now, please join me in singing Lead Me, Lord, as printed in your bulletin. of wonders. You are the light in our obscurity, the order in our chaos, the passion in our passivity, and the pacifism in our brutality. For that we come together to worship you. Because you lead us out of slavery and through fire and across the choppy waters. When life becomes unbearable, O oh Lord, we turn to you. Please be present with us in the suffering of our body, in times of war and violence, the suffering of our mind, in times of anxiety and depression, and the suffering of our spirits, in times of apathy and pride. And in the moments where we are free, and the fires are quenched, and the waters still, let us not forget to celebrate your glorious love in our lives. Every morning brings new light to the world from which we might see the goodness of your creation. Indeed, open our eyes and hearts, O God, so that we might walk in gratitude. Because surely we do bear a heavy load, but there is nothing greater than the weight of glory that is in all of your works and all of your creation. Bless each of our hearts with thanksgiving, God. Bless the hearts of our leaders and laborers, teachers and students, sisters and brothers. When we are filled with gratitude, there is no room for bitterness, there is no room for pride, and there is nothing that can stop us from coming together with one voice. And so, with one voice, we pray for our moments of suffering and celebration. We pray for all people in the words that Jesus taught us to pray at all times, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. And we forgive those who trespass against us. 
lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. The peace of the Lord be always with you. I am Brother Larry Whitney. I'm the University Chaplain for Community Life here at Boston University's Marsh Chapel. I would add my welcome to all of the others you're probably receiving this weekend, to uh, your time here at Boston University, and to worship with us here this morning. I would encourage each of you uh, to fill out the red or white pad at the end of your pew with your name and contact information so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better. I would note that following the service today, we do have lunch on the BU Beach outside, and that um, we hope you will come and join us for that. Uh, tomorrow evening, we have Splash in the morning for uh, incoming freshmen to find out more about student activities on campus. And then at 5 p.m. in the evening, uh, we have an open house at uh, the Deanery at 96 Bay State Road, number 10. And we hope you'll come and meet and greet one another and Dean and Jan Hill. We have a number of first week activities going on throughout the coming week this week, and I'd encourage you to take a look at those in your bulletin. Also look for them on the Marsh Chapel website, uh, bu.edu slash chapel, and uh, attend as you're able. I would make a special announcement that at 9 o'clock next Sunday morning, we'll be getting a new service, a Eucharistic service, and that will take place each week throughout the coming year. I hope you're able to attend. For those of you who may be interested, you'll note that our choir is back, and some of you may be interested in participating in the choir this year. You can find more information by talking to anybody in the choir or our director, Dr. Scott Jarrett, and he has uh, a leaflet full of information about how to audition and how to uh, take part in our musical life together. Next week will be Matriculation Sunday here at Marsh Chapel, and we hope that those of you who would like to identify forms of ministry among us at Marsh will identify yourselves to Elizabeth in the chapel office sometime during the coming week so that we can have you participate in our, our service together. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
of the poor. Receive with this money gratitude for your goodness, penitence for our pride, and dedication to your service. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last through Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs> 